Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. If you to open up your Bible with me, we're going to read together in Psalm 11. Interesting verse there from King David. And uh, I want to read this to you in just a few moments. And share with you some biblical principles as they relate to the current election. And I'm praying that God would give us uh, his grace tonight. That this would be more than just a political speech. Uh, I am not here to uh, twist your arm into voting for one candidate or another. But simply to lay out the issues that are before us. And so that you can make an informed decision in the next coming days. I... uh, don't have anybody back there operating the computer. I wonder, Chris, if you could run back there quick. I want to show you a picture of a guy. This is the black and white picture that I that I uh, sent. This is a guy called Attila the Hun. <laughs> well, the picture will be there in a few moments. Let me describe to you who this guy was. He was a uh, a warrior. Uh, who arose from what is now modern-day southern Russia, area of Kazakhstan. And he led, yes, there he is. He's up there in the top right corner of this picture. Uh, This is an artist rendering. Obviously, we don't have any physical evidence to to know exactly what he looked like. But he became famous for spreading terror across Europe. And as he began to attack the Roman Empire, as it was still in its last stages before it fell. The weakened Roman Empire was fearful and full of disdain for what they began to call the barbarians. These were people that they saw as foreign foes. They had foreign ways. They uh, had tattooed faces. They had hairstyles that were frightening. And the Christianized Romans at the time could not understand how God could allow these pagan people to bring destruction to their once mighty empire. It was in the late 300s, the late 4th century, as the Roman Empire was beginning to to fall apart, that Attila and his followers found uh, a strategy... To, uh, to come against the Roman Empire. Attila was, they say about him, he was a brilliant horseman and a brilliant military leader. He had a commanding presence, and he held together his fighters through the strength of his personality. His empire was built within less than 10 years, and at its height, the, the area under his control stretched from Central Asia all the way across to modern-day France and through the Danube Valley uh, in close to the place where my wife and I used to live in uh, Bulgaria. So in 452, you can show this uh, next picture, Amanda. So this is a fresco print that was painted by uh, the famous uh, painter named Raphael, uh, not just a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. But uh, Raphael painted this fresco in uh, Vatican City. And what you're seeing in this uh, painting is the account that became famous from the year 452. This is the occasion on which Attila the Hun had made his way to the heart of the Roman Empire. And he was at the very gate of the city of Rome. You can tell this is the gate of Rome by the big archway. Uh, This was famous because it carried the aqueducts. You can see maybe in the background, this is the Colosseum behind. And so he depicted this taking place at 
the gates of Rome. At that time, the Roman Empire had become completely fractured and destroyed. And what this represents is the time that the barbarians were at the gate. Maybe you've heard that term before. The barbarians are at the gate. This is what made that saying famous. And the reason why this is so famous is because when Attila and his army arrived at this gate, something strange happened. You would think, based on his record of attacking and taking cities and nations, you would think that Rome would have fallen on that day. But maybe you'd be surprised that it didn't. Because what you're seeing over here on the left side of the painting is you're seeing Pope Leo the Great. And what happened is that as the barbarians were at the gate ready to attack the city, Pope Leo gets an idea to go out and have a conversation with Attila. Now, this conversation is not recorded. We don't know what was said. We don't know if there was terms or there was a bargain of some kind. All we do know is that after that conversation, Attila the Hun backed away from the gate and at least for a few more decades, the Roman Empire still had command of its capital city in Rome. Now, the reason that this is famous is because maybe you can see some figures floating above Pope Leo. And the reason why they believe that Attila was turned away that day when he had the resources, he had the power, he had the ability to attack the city, and you would think just a conversation would stop him? Well, the, the, uh, the legend goes that there was a miraculous apparition of Saints Peter and Paul who were armed with swords during this meeting. And the, the legend says that as they were having a conversation, working out some terms, they looked up and saw these sword-wielding saints. And because of that, they were spooked, they turned away, and they left Rome to, uh, without being attacked. So, why would I bring up this ancient story? <laughs> because in many ways, our nation is at a crossroads that is similar with the barbarians beating down the gate. The election of 2020 is presenting a scenario that is somewhat similar to this ancient story. Remember I said how Rome had become weakened and was on its last gasp of existence. In a similar way, we are living in a time when our nation, the moral foundation of who we are in our culture, is beginning to be weakened over the last 50 years. We are seeing cracks in our foundation Things have changed at a radical pace. Even in the last 10 to 15 years, we have seen homosexual agenda. We have seen transgender movement. We have seen uh, uh, the, the uh, legalization of homosexual marriage. On and on it goes. These are the foundations of our Christian nation breaking apart, right? We see today in the very last year the questioning of every single moral and civil institution in our culture, there are forces that uh, symbolized by the tearing down of our statues that don't that they don't want to stop with tearing down statues. There are many people who want to tear down the entire system, tear down the government, tear down our institutions, tear down the majorities in the cities and the and the things that have made us strong. We are very similar to Rome in that aspect. What is also similar about this account is that Attila the Hun was not a builder, he was a destroyer. That he would go into cities, he would, he, like a pirate, he would take what was helpful to him and leave devastation behind. In many ways, the forces that are working against America are similar, desiring chaos rather than order. More interested in tearing things down than building things up. We also see a similar uh, shadow that took place here. We have a questionable figure. If you've done any study on the popes of old, that they had uh, one hand 
in the military and another hand in the church and another hand in the government. And uh, these ancient popes, they had, uh, they had questionable dealings. How many know we have a questionable man at the top of our land currently? We have uh, a man who is worthy of many criticisms and yet standing up for some things that we believe as Christians. It's a very interesting thing. We also see that for this story to have any weight, that there had to be, whether it was an apparition of Peter and Paul or whether it was some other kind of miracle, how many know that they needed God's power to turn away the barbarians at the gate? They needed a miracle. It was going to take more than just the Pope and the people of Rome to turn them away. They needed a miracle. I want to uh, tell you today, we also need a miracle. What we desperately need in the United States is revival. Revival. And revival doesn't come because of an election. In fact, revival may come as our nation gets worse. When persecution comes against the church, that's usually when revival strikes up. So I'm not here to make any predictions about what's going to happen in this election. I'm here to tell you what God's people are called to do. And so, the last thing I want you to notice here is that if Attila and the rest of those barbarians, if they had not been turned away at this gate, they would have done harm to the city of Rome. They would have destroyed it, and they would not have turned back. In a similar way, we have an opportunity, at least for a few more years, to hold off the attack of those forces that intend to destroy our nation. And so uh, I want to share with you this scripture because I believe we are in a critical moment and we have to think biblically about these issues. I want to read this scripture, Psalm 11, verses 1 through 4. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. In the Lord I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow on the string. That they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. Here's the key scripture tonight. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold his eyelids test the sons of men. Let's pray tonight. God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather in your house. I'm praying, Lord, once again that your presence would be upon this service, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear your word. God, I pray not my own understanding, but God, that you would lead us in truth tonight. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit, which guides us into all truth. May he have right of way in our hearts tonight. In Jesus' mighty name, God's people would say, Amen. And so this is a message I've titled, Barbarians at the Gate. <laughs> now, before you think that I am equating uh, Democrats or Joe Biden with barbarians, those are not the barbarians that I am referencing tonight. In fact, our true enemy is not a political party. How many understand that? Our true enemy is not a candidate. It's not uh, Joe Biden or Kamala Harris or Nancy Pelosi. Our true enemy tonight is hell. He, uh, Satan is the one who wants to bring the destruction, and he uses Many different things, many different people, and many different ways to bring that about. And what we have to understand tonight is that politics and the electoral uh, system that we have in the United States is just one avenue of how we make decisions. But tonight, we cannot make the mistake that many Christians make, which is to simply walk away from all of the craziness. And it's very tempting, isn't it? It's very tempting for us to just say, I don't want to have any part of that nonsense. 
it would be so much easier for us to turn off the news, right? To turn off the, uh, the, the accusations and the name calling and the kindergarten antics that come from both sides and just say, I want to live my life for Jesus and I want to make heaven my home. And is, wouldn't that be a wonderful reality? And listen, there are many Christians <coughs> who, uh, according to uh, voting data, do exactly that. In 2016, our last presidential election, can I tell you, there were 27 million Christians who sat out, said, I'm not participating. I don't want my voice to be heard. Could you imagine if those 27 million Christians would be encouraged once again to vote for principles, to vote for policies that would advance the kingdom, how that would change our nation? 27 million Christians sat out. I pray you weren't one of them. Because I believe it is part of our responsibility as believers to be involved in the public square. Pastor, aren't we supposed to be citizens of heaven? And if we are citizens of heaven, then why in the world would we want to participate in the citizens of this planet. I hear people who have said, it's all corrupt anyway. All politicians are liars. It's all too confusing. It takes too much of my time and effort. And besides, one vote's not going to make a difference anyway. Right? Have you heard those arguments? Maybe you've said them to yourself. But the reason is uh, the biggest reason that many Christians don't get involved is because of a mistranslation of Philippians 3, verse 20, which tells us that our citizenship is in heaven. And by the way, doesn't the Constitution tell us that religion and politics don't go together? Well, I tell you this, Satan would love it if Christians would roll over and play dead in the United States. He would love it. As uh, as the voter rolls grow, and as as uh, as you know, uh, many younger people uh, uh, gain the ability to vote without a whole lot of understanding about life, uh, Satan would just love it if Christians would stay out of this, because how quickly he would be able to take our nation into a pagan culture and drag us back toward barbarism and destruction. So, do you know how many people claim to be Christians in the United States of America? Do you know how many Christians there are? People who, and I understand that these are just people who claim to be Christians. If you ask them, are you a Christian, they would say yes. The number is around 90 million. Maybe closer to 100 million by now. Do you know how many, uh, how many homosexuals there are in the United States? If you only watch TV and movies, you would think, oh, there's got to be like 15 to 20% homosexuals, at least. The real number is that there are less than 2% in our nation. How many atheists are in the United States? Less than 1.5%. Admittedly, growing. But still, far outnumbered by the number of people who call themselves Christians. That is at least two-thirds of all American are Christians. The problem is we're asleep. And if you ever woke that sleeping giant, you'd better watch out. That's why I say that maybe it's going to take persecution for the church to wake up. Even COVID-19 couldn't wake us up. Even an invisible virus that only, uh, that only infected uh, one less than 1% of our population caused us to go deeper into sleep and close churches down. In many ways, we have in our nation a failing Christian voter. As I mentioned, close to 27 million Christians sat out in the last presidential election. Let me just remind you tonight that you and I are called to be an influence on the culture. We are not allowed to sit out. We are not allowed to turn our back and let the world go to hell. 
You're not allowed to do that. You have a responsibility and a duty as a Christian to be informed and to be involved. Matthew 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. Say salt. What does salt do? It influences. It changes. Everything that it touches, it flavors. It preserves. It brings a quality that was not there before. You are the salt of the earth. The Christian believers of our nation are the ones who ought to be influencing our culture. Jesus also said, uh, if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. What happens when the church loses its influence? Well, you're seeing it. What happens when the church fails to be an influence on culture? You know, uh, again, about salt, it's preserving. It's full of flavor. But you know what? Salt can also be annoying. Salt in a wound can bring a pain, right? And when there are open, gaping wounds of morality and culture, you know, and the church stands up Bible in hand to preach against immorality in our culture, you know, the world might say, hey, just be quiet for a minute. We don't want to hear that. The church can be an, an annoying factor. It also has a permeating quality. In other words, uh, if you, wanna, if you want to flavor your meat, you know, the best thing to do is to put a layer of salt on it and then leave it overnight. Because what the salt does is it begins to permeate throughout that meat, soften it, flavor it, prepare it for being cooked. Listen, this is also uh, what happens, what should happen with believers. And this only happens when the salt has what? Contact. When it has direct contact with that food. Listen, the church is called to be the salt of the earth. That means we must be in contact. We must be involved. We must be in the process. If we simply remove ourselves from the process, and it's no wonder when we don't have any influence. And for 50 years now, the church has been losing influence. And I pray that God would help us to have revival. Not only are we the salt, we are the light. Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your shine, let your light so shine before men that may, they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let me ask you, on November 3rd, is your light going to be shining? You know, uh, uh, I was considering when exactly to preach this message because a few weeks ago I thought to preach a message uh, in this direction when we were having voter registration because I understand that there's probably some people here tonight that uh, you, you are hearing what I'm saying and say, yes, Pastor, I want to be involved, but the problem is you never got registered to vote. So your influence is going to be delayed for two or for four more years. And so tonight, uh, my prayer is that, that we can be that light. And yes, we are called to preach the gospel. We are called to make disciples and plant churches. That's one way that we gain dominion for the kingdom of God. But it's not the only way. It's also the way that we live. It's the values that we have, that we hold. It's our families. And in a much lesser degree, it is the way that we vote. It certainly does have profound impact on our daily lives. Proverbs 11.11 11 says, Upright citizens are good for a city and make it prosper. But the talk of the wicked tears it apart. Romans 2.19, and you are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in law. That's supposed to be you. That's supposed to be God's people. And what good are we if we are not having influence on the world around us? 
And so, tonight, I want you to know that your vote matters. Your vote has influence on the culture. Now, if you tell me, Pastor, uh, if I had the choice either to witness to somebody on Tuesday, the 3rd of November, or to go and vote, I would say, please go and witness to someone instead. Okay? If you had the choice, if you could only do one, if you had made a coffee date to share the gospel and read the Bible to somebody, uh, that would be a better use of your time. But for most of you, you don't have that difficult choice to make. You can make a plan now to, between today and November 3rd. There, there is early voting happening uh, during the weekdays at various locations that you can go spend an hour. Uh, I heard from somebody just yesterday who went to do the early voting up here at Princess Anne, and you know how long they waited in line? Two and a half hours. What that tells me is that there are a lot of people who are involved. There are a lot of people who may agree with us and a lot of people who may not agree with us. But I'm telling you this, there's a lot of people voting. You better make sure your voice is heard. See, in modern elections, the margin of victory is often very, very small. Just consider from the last election in 2018, there was an election in Kentucky, the 13th district for the House of Representatives that in this particular district, there was a single vote that changed the outcome. They, they, uh, they did a recount to make sure there was a Supreme Court challenge, and uh, finally they decided that single vote decided who would be in that House of Representatives. Maybe even you remember a few years back in 2017, right here in Virginia, there was a district, uh, it was the 92nd, uh, sorry, 94th district in uh, for the Virginia House of Delegates. And uh, there was 79, excuse me, out of a county that had 79,000 people in it, there were 23,000 who voted. And when they tallied up all of the votes, it was an exact tie between two candidates, 2017. This was just three years ago. And they counted them up. They had an equal pile. And so out of 79,000 people, only 23,000 of them voted. One vote would have made a difference. And because it was a tie, they sent that election to the, the court of Virginia. And you know what they did? They flipped a coin. They flipped a coin and left it up to chance. Don't tell me your vote doesn't matter, because it does. If only one of those remaining 50,000 people would have taken time to go vote for their local delegate, it would have changed the outcome. So, I might not be able tonight to convince you, and I'm not intending to convince you to vote for one candidate or another, but I know for certain that I can convince you that voting is a duty of every believer. Now, from our scripture tonight, there was a statement that, the, that David made that is so important and that illustrates why every election is the most important election. <coughs> and that was in Psalm 11, verse 3, where David said, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, just think about the difference between building and destroying. Every kid who's ever made a toy out of Legos understands the difference. That it takes a lot more time to build something than it does to destroy something. Am I right? Everyone who's ever made a castle in the sand understands that it, what can take hours perfecting and shaping and sizing and building. How many know one wave? in half a second, can tear down all of your labor and work. This is true in our lives. We spend so much time training and raising our children. Parents, you have kids in your house. You're teaching them. You're training them. You're keeping them from killing themselves, you know, for years. You, you know, uh, they're, they're little suicide machines. And if you just let them run, man, uh, man you got to protect those kids. you got to train them how to control themselves. But how many know? 
every parent's nightmare. That one bad decision, one moment of, of uh, impropriety, one, one leap into the wrong street at the wrong time. You know what I'm saying? One moment can destroy all of our hard work. Marriage is the same. For years, we work in our marriages. We build. We love one another. But how many know one, one night can change it all? Church. In church, we spend, how many, I've been, my wife and I, we've been here for 10 years working for the kingdom of God, building, seeing God, how he builds his church, laboring faithfully. But, you know, one bad decision, one moment, and the foundations can be destroyed. Isn't it true? It is so much easier to destroy than it is to build. We even saw it here in our building, didn't we? We had some walls here. I think about those walls every time I give a tour to somebody. Pastor Dion was here. I was giving him a tour of the building, and I was telling him about how we tore down these walls, how there was three rooms on this side and three rooms on that side. And I think about, I wonder how long it would have taken to build all of those walls. Probably weeks, you know, if you got a crew to put all those walls and the drywall and the, and the, the you know, the metal studs that were in there and all of the elect- electricity that had to be run and uh, all of the doors had to be hung. And I'm thinking, man, it probably took weeks, maybe months to build all of those nice walls. You know how long it took us to tear them down? Less than a day. Because destruction is a lot easier and a lot quicker than building. I tell you, here we are in the United States of America. We have the longest single running constitutional republic in all of the world. There is no other nation that has been operating under the same founding document for longer than we have. From 1776, when we signed the Declaration, with, uh, the Declaration of Independence, and then the U.S. Constitution, which holds us together, that founding document, with many amendments, 28 amendments over time, that has been enough to govern us. It was a strong enough foundation that we could build the strongest, most prosperous nation in the history of the world. No other nation can say that. Blessed by God. It's not because we were smarter or better looking, but it was blessed by God. I want to tell you, those foundations can be destroyed. And it can happen quickly. It can happen a lot more quickly than you think. If the wrong people come into the wrong offices and able to change the nature of our country... In a very short time, things can change. You just ask the people of Venezuela how quickly things can change. A nation that was prosperous had uh, still has great wealth uh, in oil reserves, one of the richest nations in the Western Hemisphere. How quickly? In a matter of 10 or 15 years. And now they're eating dogs and chicken. Uh, not even chicken. They're eating dogs and, you know, all of the goats are gone. Because the people are starving. In the last uh, uh, 10, I I read a statistic that the average Venezuelan has lost 25 pounds. Starvation. Because of decisions at the top. The foundations are destroyed. What can the righteous do? And so, these are not light decisions. We have to examine our choices and make the best one possible. So, Pastor, how should I vote? Well, first thing I would tell you is simply to pay attention. You know, there are, there are sports fans like me that I don't pay attention to sports at all until you get to the playoffs. You know what I'm saying? Like once it starts to matter, okay, playoffs, I better figure out who's in the playoffs. This year, man, I totally blew it off anyways. But Usually, you know, baseball, basketball, even even the NFL, I'll wait until the playoffs before I start trying to figure out who's playing. I pretty much don't pay attention to the rest. There are some people who treat politics like that, you know. They just wait until the week before election. Oh, oh, there's an election? Oh, what should I do? I better figure out who's running. <laughs> I want to encourage you, you should pay attention. To what's happening around you. It's amazing how many Christians are living with heads in the sand. And maybe not even 
out of out of uh, the desire to stay out of it. Many times we're just so wrapped up with our own daily struggles of life that we've got the blinders on. Don't want to hear. It's too depressing. It's too stressful. I don't want to know. I would encourage you to read our founding documents, the Constitution, the Federalist Papers. I know it's kind of hard to read, but you know what? You should figure it out. This is our nation, and we should understand it. I lost the amens some time ago. I'm not sure what happened. You should figure out why we are so blessed, why we're different from other nations. Not that we're that we should boast or be proud, but that God has blessed. Why is that? Read a few books. Read a few speeches made by our founders. Understand the reasons why and how far we've come from there. I think that we, as people of God, we should be honest and clear-eyed as we examine candidates, that we should take into account flaws, no matter which side of the aisle that they're on. Can you trust this candidate? Do they have maturity and integrity? Uh, like Samuel, you know, when Samuel went to go pick a king, this, this is not ground that hasn't been covered by the Bible. Now, the Bible speaks about these issues. For example, when God speaks to Samuel and he says, go pick out a king for Israel. He says, I've rejected Saul. No, no offense, Saul. But uh, I've rejected Saul as my king. I want you to go find another king. And what did Samuel do? He goes to the house of Jesse and he says, uh, oh, man, here's a good looking guy. Man, oh, he's tall. He's strong. He looks like a king. He's got to be. The, he's got to be the one, right? Wrong. All the things that Samuel that was impressed by, God says, don't look at the outward appearance. He says, I'm more concerned about what's inside, what's in the heart of the man. And he goes down the line of all of these brothers. And he says, wait a second. The king was supposed to be in this house, but he's not here. Are there any other brothers? Oh, yeah, yeah but you don't want him. It's just David. He's the one who plays with the sheep all day. He says, bring him here. He sees David. Nothing impressive there. But God says, that's the one. That's the one. And he's the one who wrote the very psalm that we're talking about here tonight. He became the greatest king in, in the history of Israel. And what do we learn from that story? That it's not just about what's on the outside. It's not just about outward appearance. It's not just about how good of a speech can someone make. It's about the inward character of the heart, isn't it? It's about the policy decisions that people make in the heat of the battle. It's about character. It's about convictions. What do they stand up for? Our current president, one of my criticisms of him, and I'm going to talk about criticisms and strengths, but my, my, my criticism is that he's narcissistic, focused on self, makes policy, makes decisions about relationships based on does this person like me or not. That can be a very dangerous way to live. Do they stand up for things that are precious, like life? Freedom. Will they enlarge or shrink a government? Will they spend like a drunken sailor? Seems like everybody does that in Washington these days. Whatever happened to fiscal conservatism? Whatever happened to saving the taxpayers a few dollars? That's been thrown to the wayside. And I don't think it should be. What did James Madison? James Madison was... Uh, fourth president, and he is known as the father of our Constitution, who wrote most of it. And listen to the statement he made when it concerns choosing leaders for our nation. He says, we have staked the whole of our political institutions upon the capacity of mankind for self-government, upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves, to control ourselves, to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. That's pretty intense. It says all of our government is the capacity for us to govern ourselves according to God's Ten Commandments. No wonder God blessed this nation. Because that is the idea that we were founded upon. Patrick Henry, great Virginian, that patriot and founding father, said, it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often 
that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. So don't tell me that we were not founded on Christian principles. Because people at the time said we were. And yes, we've come a long way. And I would no longer describe America as a Christian nation. We have a lot of Christians in our nation, but we have fallen a long way in the last generations. The very first Supreme Court justice, his name was John Jay. Listen to what he said. Americans should select and prefer Christians as their rulers. Now, why is all of this? Why is this important? It's because of the foundations. The foundations. Remember the foundations. There was a politician some time ago who said he wanted to fundamentally transform this nation. And he was successful in doing it. You know, if you love somebody, oh, my wife, how I love her so much. Do you know what? I would love to fundamentally transform her. No, you don't fundamentally transform someone that you love, that you care about. And in the same way, if we care about our nation, we shouldn't be seeking to transform her, but rather to reform her. In our current election, we have some clear contrasts. We are Virginians, and so we, are be, we will be voting for a, a member of Senate. The current race is between uh, former governor, Mark Warner, who's now been in the Senate for 12 years, and he's got a challenger named Daniel Gade. Now, you might not have heard any of these names before, but if you're over 18, you better know who they are. If you're going to go into the voting booth and you're going to uh, fill in a bubble for one of them, you better figure out who they are. Who are these guys? Well, Mark Warner has scored 0% on pro-life votes, has consistently supported homosexual agenda, has voted for radical things over and over again. You have also Daniel Gade, the challenger, who is a retired U.S. Army lieutenant, colonel, professor, and public policy leader. And uh, he served in Iraq. He lost a leg. Uh, he's currently down about 17% in the polls, so we better support him. We better, we, we, we better see if he's worthy of our support. We also have, obviously, a presidential election happening. And we have two people vying for that position, President Donald Trump and the Vice President Mike Pence. And we also have a former Vice President Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. So just a few things, and then we'll move to more important things. I believe tonight that it's pretty obvious that a believer in Jesus Christ should really think seriously before voting for the current Democratic candidates for just a few reasons. Number one, their radical support for abortion. Now, I'm not saying that every Democrat should be voted against, that every Democrat is one of the barbarians at the gates. I'm not saying that. There are some good Democrats out there, a few. But the ones at the top of the ticket have opposed, uh, even after opposing tax fund of, of abortion for many years, we have now a, a party that radically has reversed and wants tax dollars to fund abortion. Pastor, is that real? We want our tax dollars to fund Planned Parenthood? Yes, indeed, and give more money to destroy the next generation in the womb. Recently, Joe Biden endorsed the notion that an eight-year-old boy ought to be able to transition into a girl. Do you support that? Biden has come against religious liberty, vowing to reinstate a policy of forcing nuns to access contraception. Also supports a law that would make sexual orientation and gender identity as protected categories under the Civil Rights Act. Do you support that? You see, Biden is, is clearly in poor health, and we don't, we don't hold that against him. But what it means is that a vote for Biden is most likely a vote for Kamala Harris. She's been ranked as the most far-left member of the U.S. Senate many times. 
They are seeking, no doubt, to change the nature of the Supreme Court and alter the checks and balances of the third branch of our government. Are you okay with that? To fundamentally transform the nature of our government? So that's Joe Biden, and we also have another candidate, Donald Trump. And as I mentioned, I am not completely on board with all of his character flaws. I am more than willing to uh, speak against what I see as great problems. I agree with John Piper, prominent pastor, when he said this. He said, a leader models self, when a leader models self-absorbed, self-exalting boastfulness, he models the most deadly behavior in the world. He points his nation toward destruction and destruction of more kinds than we can imagine. Much of his uh, speech, much of his rhetoric has not been helpful. And many times he steps all over his own case. I didn't vote for Trump in 2016 because I saw so many character flaws. And I feared that he wouldn't govern the way that he was campaigning. But here we are four years later, we're in a far different situation. And what I, it, what, what I, uh, what I didn't know is that he became the most prominent pro-life president in my lifetime. The policies have been solid. Often, Trump, one of the best descriptions of Donald Trump is that he is a hammer in search of a nail. Sometimes he hits a nail and sometimes he hits a baby, and it's not very fun. But I don't believe that Trump is the cause of the division in our country. Rather, he is the result of the division. In other words, he is the effect, not the cause, of so much that we're seeing right now in our world. And whatever damage I was concerned about that he would do to our nation, that damage has already been done. And at this point, that is not enough reason to keep me personally from voting for him. You make your own decision. I'm going to tell you what I, what, what, what I believe. The record that we can see from his administration that is important for Christians, important for Christians, most pro-life president of our lifetime, most pro-Israel president of our lifetime, most pro-constitutional uh, judge president of our lifetime, and for all of his faults, he is still the most pro-Christian president of our lifetime. He has ushered in a new peace deal in the Middle East. Did you, did you hear about that? There's peace in the Middle East with the UAE, Bahrain, most likely Saudi Arabia to follow. He is ending the long-running wars in Iraq, in Afghanistan. The final group of troops are finally coming home from Afghanistan this year. Can you believe after almost 20 years, our longest war, and it was Trump who ended it. He's also the first president in my lifetime that has not started any new foreign entanglements. I like that. And for all of his bombastic behavior, when I look at the policies, when I look at that list, I say I don't have any reason to not support him. So with all of that, I will be voting for Donald Trump this year. Because of this record, I am not uh, saying that you're less of a Christian if you don't want to vote for him. I am simply saying that according to the record, I can't deny the policy record. So having said all that, my final advice to you is to pray. Pray about your vote because your vote is important. You only get one of them. And it's like money. If you get $10 in your pocket, you're only going to spend that money one time. You can either buy two bags of chips at 7-Eleven, right? Or you can put it in a savings account where it will grow, hopefully. But the point is you can only spend it once. And it's the same with your vote. Some Christians will have to hold their nose or may refuse to vote for Donald Trump, and that is your decision, not mine. But what I would say is that God is watching. God is watching. Second Chronicles 7, 14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now, here's what's not important. An election is an important event, but 
it is not the most important. No matter who wins this election, I'll tell you this, the church of Jesus Christ will continue. The church of Jesus Christ is more important than the United States of America. Now, the, the church has benefited from a strong and prosperous America. The church has been able to send missionaries into foreign nations. I believe that's the only reason that God's blessing is still on this nation because there's still a big group of people who pray and give and send missionaries into the nations. That, that's probably the only reason America is still around. And I pray that God would give us more time. But if he doesn't, I tell you this, the church will continue. We will still serve God, even if laws are changed, even if the barbarians break down the gate, even if our constitutional republic is drastically altered. I'll tell you this, the church of Jesus Christ will still go on. And our job is to remain faithful to him, to do what God has called us to do. So I'm encouraging you here tonight. The real divide in our nation is not between political parties. It's not between the right and the left, the conservative and the libertarian or the, the liberal. The real divide in our nation is biblical worldview versus humanist worldview. And there are white people, black people, brown people on both sides. There are Democrats and Republicans on both sides. There are a big city uh, urbanites and there are Midwestern small town dwellers on both sides. The divide in our nation is a spiritual one between the biblical worldview and the humanist worldview. And if you are on the biblical worldview, if you believe this book, if you believe the foundations that God has built, I challenge, want to challenge you tonight to use your vote to speak to preserve those foundations. If we are ultimately going to survive, it will be because of revival. I don't put my hope in Donald Trump as my savior. He can only do so much. A Congress, a Senate can only do so much. What we desperately need is we need God to pour out his spirit in these last days. And short of that, then I believe that our nation, whether sooner or rather later, I believe we will suffer the same fate as the Roman Empire unless God gets involved. And I am hopeful, and I am expectant, that unless Jesus comes back first, there will be revival in our nation. And I believe God has positioned us well, as a fellowship and as a church, to receive great revival. Is the election important? Yes, it is. But what's more important than that? Winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. Let's bow our heads tonight. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website, vvph.org, and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.